fam, this week, I need y'all to check out this uh, video, um, this little video interview that was going on. Uh, this is probably back in the day. This is with the uh, artist David Bowie. Um, I posted this on my Instagram earlier this week, but I really wanted y'all to hear this. Um, I'll post a link in the show notes, but I really wanted y'all to hear this because this really captures a lot of what we in the in the black community, in the, the, the scholarly community have been talking about for decades in regards to race, music, representation. Uh, I want you to check this interview out. I know this is kind of off the beaten path, but I think it's important to check out and to understand like what goes on behind these things. And this is, this is David Bowie, the David Bowie, um, you know, rest in peace, you know, he passed, but um, this is an amazing interview and I just want y'all to check this out. And I want you to listen to the the idiot that is the MTV executive that's trying to, like, make excuses. So check this out here. It's up to you guys. I'd like to ask you something. I mean, so, you know, all right. um, it, it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, um, that it's, it, it's, got, it's a solid enterprise with it and it's got a lot going for it. I'm just floored by the fact that there's so, many, so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. There's the, the company's thinking in terms of narrow casting. That's evident. Um, it's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or, on, or to around 6. Very few are featured predominant, no. predominantly during the day. No. That, uh, that's a, I'll say that over the last couple of weeks, these things have been changing, but it, it's, no, uh, it's a I, slow process. I know. It's, it's funny. I think people have different perceptions. When you wind up watching, let's say you watch an hour or two or even three a day, People somehow come away with different ideas about what we are doing. We don't have any kind of day parting for anything, mm. let alone a black artist day parted out of what, what would be, quote, prime time. Mm. We don't have that. Because one sees a lot on the... On the there's a, one black station on uh, television that I keep picking up. I'm not sure which station it's on. But there's a, there seem to be a lot of black artists making very good videos that I'm surprised aren't used on MTV. Well, of course, also we have to try and do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also uh, Poughkeepsie or Midwest. Pick some town in the Midwest that will be scared to death by Prince, which we're playing, or a string of other black faces. That's and black very music. interesting. Isn't that interesting? You know, we have to uh, we have to play the music that we think an entire country is going to like, and certainly we're a rock and roll station now. The question would be asked, well, should, uh, since we're in New York, should PLJ play, uh, you know, uh, the Isley Brothers? Well, you and I might say, yeah, because we have grown up in an era when the Isley Brothers mean something to me, and so do the Spinners, even way after the Isley Brothers. But what does it mean to a 17-year-old? Well, if you talk on the phones to these guys like I did when I was in radio, it's Well, scary. I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what maybe the Isley Brothers or Marvin Gaye means to a black 17-year-old. Ah. And surely he's part of America as well. No question. No question. And that's why you're seeing those things. Do you not find that it's a frightening predicament to be in? Yeah, but less so here than in radio. 
And is it not? Well, no, don't say. Well, it's not me. It's them. Is it, no, is well, it, not, is it not possible that it's, it's, it should be a conviction of the station and of other radio stations? Mm. To be fair, it, it is. It does seem to be um, uh, rampant through American media. Um, is it, it? Should it not be a challenge to try and make the media far more integrated in those things, especially of anything in musical terms? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think it's happening because white music and white musicians are now starting to play more than ever what uh more than they have lately let's say in the last 10 years yeah what what black artists have been into mm -hmm. and now hopefully the lines are going to start to to blur and when we play a band like abc yeah well there's there's white and black kids who are enjoying it and all of a sudden well it's it's a little bit easier for a white kid to understand it the fact is quite frankly I could even point you towards a letter in the new issue of The Record, yeah. the magazine The Record, responding to an article by Dave Marsh that this, this kid just ranted about what he didn't want to see on MTV. Well, that's and his in problem. In no uncertain terms. Well, what I'm saying, though, is that there's, as you say, there's certainly a lot of black kids and white kids who may want to see black music. Mm. There's a ton of them who are... It's not like it was in 67 where you say, yeah... I'm, I'm not into that, you know, but you are, yeah. Now it's, you're into that? I don't like you. And that's scary, and we, can, we can't just turn around and go, well, look, this is the right way. We can only teach, I think, a little bit at a time. Interesting. Okay, thank you very much. Does that make sense? Valid point? I understand your point of view. Believe me, it's, it's a tough situation. I know, tough I know. Situation. I just thought, like, because it's going to be a sooner or later, it's just interesting, and I wanted to know what, what the response would be there. Well, there's, there's never been any kind of I'd tell you what's my racist, like, we don't want to play black artists, period. We want to play rock and roll. I just know that from... Uh, also, it's also where cable is. It's where the, where the cable... None of the urban markets have been wired yet. It's all suburban markets. So we had a choice be between an R&B station or AOR station. <laughs> we were at the AOR station. Hopefully, we'll have the R&B station. It's, it's, it's uh, foremost on my mind, of course, because of the guys, especially I've been working with recently, who are very hostile to uh, the media. Yeah. Um, in, in no small way. I mean, they really think that it's, uh, it's, it's a bad deal at the moment. And it hasn't been like this in years. But on the other hand, I feel I feel posi positive about it because I see another swing happening. Mm -hmm. There is a new yeah. thing happening. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure you can yeah. understand that if you make a left-hand turn and say, "Well, we've been playing rock and roll, but now we're going to play, uh, you know, the Commodores, and we're going to play all these these bands that black radio, let's say, is playing." Yeah, but let's face it: somebody laid down the ground rules yeah. in the beginning. This, uh, you know, there should be no reason why it has to change. The table been there. Yeah. Is the tape on, fam? Ooh, I told y'all, y'all had to, y'all had to hear that. That, um, that, uh, hell yeah, the tape is on. So, with that, you can imagine just the the implications of this is one guy interviewing David Bowie, who's David Bowie. Um, you can only imagine. So, y'all, like I always say, there is much work to be done, y'all. This is profane faith. You, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. 
Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black? It's our God. Jesus Christ. Let's turn the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. What's happening, fam? What's going on out there in podcast land? Yo, man. Um, So hopefully you got a chance to kind of just take in a little bit about that interview I just played here at the beginning of the podcast. Um, Yo, I'm telling you, man, this is the type of stuff that is, this is, this is, it just pinpoints exactly, right? Because I think for a long time, right, people think, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, you know, it's easy to think, Man, I'm crazy. This, this, this is this. This must just be me, um, you know. And MTV, we've known, and you know, has been a, a racist organization for a long time. I mean, it was it was a fight just to get Yo MTV raps up and out. And now, um, you know, and now that you know, the media has changed. Right? It's about downloading. It's about streaming. Um, you know, but I think, you know, that's the thing, right? It's like, I think that, uh, you know, Bowie had some great points and I've always loved Bowie. I appreciated just kind of his outspokenness, um, and his, uh, you know, kind of his, his forthright, you know, put, just putting it out there. Um, and he, you know, brilliant musician as well. Um, but that, you know, that connects, you know, with not just music industry or what's out there, but that also connects with just how folks feel in general. And I feel like, you know, folks want to be like, oh, woke and everything and, Oh, it's 2021. We got a reckoning and stuff. But I'm just like, look, these attitudes haven't gone anywhere, really. Um, and we know that. We've known that. We know that. We saw it for four years with Trump. Um, speaking of Trump, yeah, I'm sure you noticed that, you know, he was not, uh, he was acquitted. You know, he wasn't found guilty, which we all knew. Um, come on. I, I don't I don't know really anybody out there who was surprised at that and that the GOP would act that way. Um, it uh, It's interesting just to see how much is catered to when it comes to when it comes to the trump machine uh he is still very much in you know present in their ghostly presence or 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 or, you know just in the imagination of trump uh but the reality of it is is that you know republicans still need those votes you know that are rooted in white supremacy and you know white racism and whatnot so um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an interesting, you know, next three years uh, to see, you know, what happens in the Biden administration. And it's also going to be interesting um, to see and hear, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, who comes out of as a candidate out of that group. Um, so, yeah, you know, fun times, fun times. Right. Um, there was an article that ran in The New York Times uh, this last week. Uh, really good. Uh, talking about how. um there were certain there was you know there was a rise in prophetic voices folks who felt like they had been gifted with the spirit of prophecy 
Um, and, you know, one of the interviewees was talking about how, you know, Trump would you know be reelected a second time and this would be uh, a, a, a spiritual awakening and everything. And of course, he didn't get reelected. He didn't win any of the, the court cases. You know, we all know it's bullshit. So it's just interesting to kind of just see like what those folks do. And rather than, you know, re-examining their lives and what they believe, uh, they just dig in deeper. Like, oh, you know, like one guy apologized and, you know, to his to his like base and was like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. But Trump's rule is going to be more like spiritual and metaphorical. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know, that's what we've kind of come down to. Uh, in this day and age, right? But it's it it does speak to the the serious nature of what prophetic quote unquote, I put those in quotes and very loosely, right? Prophetic voices uh, will look like you know during this era because that kind of gives way and rise to uh, QAnon and you know other conspiracy theories that tie to that. Um, of course, I think you know QAnon was it uh, you know predicted that during the inauguration this huge storm would come. Of course, it didn't come. Um, so, you know, how, how do we, how do we in turn, you know, look at that and, and, and not just cause I've always been a skeptic of folks who call themselves prophets or people who, you know, you know, like I do believe that shit is out there. I do believe there are genuine folks who are, you know, clandestine and, and, uh, telekinetic and the whole nine, right. I, I believe that there, there are those elements, but you know, there's also a lot of folks who are just running game and um, trying to, you know, hoodwink folks. So I am always doubtful of somebody who says, oh, I know God spoke to me and this is what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and how we live in the end times and whatnot. There was another uh, interesting point that got pointed out on NPR about how a lot of, you know, right wing conservatives felt like their way of living is being exterminated and that. Um, you know, their, their, their worldview, you know, has to be saved and that, you know, if it meant coming to violence, it, you know, that was okay. And I think it was like 56% of those who were, um, interviewed and I forget what the, the sample size was, but it was a very fascinating article about how there was really an allegiance towards violence and about, you know, an uprising and saying that, you know, we'll take this country back, uh, which is always interesting, right? To continually hear, you know, the, the evangelical narrative of, you know, being the one persecuted, being being the person, you know, reading the Bible really as a, a persecuted nation, right? And especially, you know, you know, the whiteness that goes into that. So fascinating stuff, y'all, in the world of religious studies and how those discourses get turned back into some folks' reality. It's interesting, I was talking about perception this week in my interpersonal comm class and um yeah, perception and and self reality. You know, it's like the folks who perceive reality to be reality is their reality, and that's always a dangerous thing in this area, uh, in this era of media. Media, excuse me. Um, and you know, just what people perceive as being real and being, um, you know, present. Right? That that, that, that you know uh, that QAnon can have millions of followers, uh, not just a few, but millions of followers. Uh, and somehow we're supposed to, you know, come to the middle and have conversations with this and just share your point of view. Like I said before, there's no middle ground with, um, you know, the Klan. There's no middle ground with Nazis. There's no middle ground with folks who want to see somebody that looks like me extinguished from, from the face of this earth. There's no middle ground with those folks. 
<laughs> so uh, the idea that we just have to, you know, talk about it and talk it out, nah. So I don't know where that leaves us, like I've said before. Um, which is why I wanted to bring a great guest on the show, uh, Dr. Leah Payne. Uh, I met, I've, of course, uh, AAR is one of those places. I met uh, Dr. Payne uh, through there, and we were lucky enough to work on a grant together on podcasting of all things. And she herself has a podcast, and uh, which we'll talk about here. And I'll, of course, put all those links in the show notes. But I just, I was just like, man, you're just a cool person. We need to talk. And, you know, you're over at George Fox. Um, doing some great stuff and uh i was like you know let's have a conversation around that uh she is an associate professor of theology at george fox university in portland seminary uh she's also a senior fellow at the louisville institute and a faculty fellow in the george fox honors program her first book gender and pentecostal revivalism making a female ministry in the early 20th century came out with palgrave in 2015 and it won the 2016 numa uh, the Journal of the Society of Pentecostal Studies Book Award. Her second book explores the development of political theology in American charismatic Christianity. And in 2015, she and three other colleagues received a Lilly Endowment uh, for High School Youth Theology Initiative grant. So she's been doing some great stuff. And uh, we just been talking and I was like, I got to get you on the show. We got to have this conversation around life, religion, teaching, pedagogy and race and all that good stuff. So sit back, enjoy another great conversation from Profane Faith here in season five. Y'all enjoy the conversation with Leah and I be safe, y'all. Peace. <laughs> but thanks for taking the time. I know you're busy. I know you have a lot going on. Um so thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? I'm happy to be here. And when Brian and I get our act together, we will want to um, return the favor. Have you on uh, your uh, have you come on the show? We has just been so hard to get interviews lately just because it has. So, it has. Anyway. It has. It has. No, this this is this is great. In fact, I already hit record. We're we're moving and sailing. Oh, wonderful. Um, wonderful. Um, but, um, you know, I'm sure that, but there's so much to talk about. There's so much, uh, going on right now in oh our, in our world, in our schools. Um, I guess first you know, was that, go ahead. Well, I teach a, a class on the history of Christianity in America or Christianities, if I could name the course, but, um, our first class was this morning. And usually I start with like an apology for why it matters to study the history of Christianity in America. And I was yeah. like, I'm not even going to do that. Cause you all know that it's really important. That's <laughs> so. right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh man. When I found out that, uh, ever since the Oklahoma bombing that I guess each year the feds send people to AAR and like, they've been studying religion and cults and whatnot since, since then I was like, I know I, isn't that, isn't that fascinating that they always send uh, a group of folks that like, you know, better understand like religion. I'm like, we, we need a stronger and more robust, like knowledge of how religion works and how it engages all of our lives. Cause I mean, it, when you think, what is it, what is the percentage? 96% of the world believes in something. Yes. Yes. I think you're right. I think they need to hire more, more people like us to do it. Like, uh, yeah. I think, you know, I, <laughs> that's a job we're plugging ourselves for a job, but I'm, I'm imagining like, I've never seen any of the feds who come in my mind. They look like Mulder and Scully, right? but I'm going to guess 
maybe they don't look quite like that. But yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. There, we need greater religious literacy, which is why I think you know every, it seems like every day in our field we hear of departments closing yep. or degrees closing. Yep. yep. And I feel dismay, not mm-hmm. just because of my own job insecurity. I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like for for the greater good, for public good, I think. We need more, not less. Right. <laughs> I don't know. How about you? <laughs> I'm the same way. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that the reality of it is, is that there's so many complexities that go, you know, along with that. I remember I taught a, it, when I was at Cal State Northridge, I taught a, a, an intro course to religious studies and it was always packed. 80, 90, 105 students. Um, and, you know, this was, this was back, I don't know, 2008, 2009. Um and even then, right? I mean, because and once students start to figure out, like, oh wait, there's more to this. Like, like what causes a cult? Like, I'm I, I was just a kid. I, I I don't know how old you are. I'm in I'm now in my late forties. I just had a birthday. I'm like, oh my gosh, this. Hey, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. Get a little Capricorn thing going on here. Um, yeah, I love it. But I was a kid when I saw on the news uh, of Jim Jones and, oh. you know, what, how all that stuff went down. And I remember then, even at, what, five years old, six years old, I'm asking the question, like, what caused all these people <laughs> to go out to an island, right, and stay within there? Because I always think if we had, like, if we were superheroes, like, okay, if, like, if we were, I, I'm a big MCU fan, so it's like if I was Vision... <laughs> Or 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 Thor or somebody with like yeah. levitating powers. I could see why people stayed, right? Yeah. But to my knowledge, most of these people, right, all have the same ability that you and I have, which is I, I would imagine you can't shoot lasers from your fingers or anything like not that. Not yet, not no, yet. Okay. Although my son is really getting into, and he and I have these long discussions about DC versus Marvel. So I'm I'm tracking with you for sure. Um, and he asked me the other day if I was a superhero and I was like, yeah, sure. And he said, what's your power? And I was like, I write. And that did not seem, there's no lasers. Right. There, there was, I tried to sell it to him. He was not buying it. Oh. But yes, you're right. You're right. I mean, I think that that, I, I sort of wonder, you know, if 40 years from now, people will be asking exactly the question that you're asking about the recent Capitol riots. Like mm-hmm. how could these people, have a kind of fervor that yeah. that ends in certainly not the same number of of mass death, but I mean five people died, um, and so I, I wonder if people will be asking some similar questions like what happened, like how, what led people to think that this was the only right thing to do. Right, exactly. Well, and that's what gets me into thinking about okay. What are small group dynamics? What are large group dynamics? Because if we all have the same powers, what keeps somebody connected in a situation like that? What makes Trump supporters die hard? It don't matter what fact. Somebody said on CNN last night, well, once the truth comes out about who Trump is, I'm like, brah, the truth is has been out. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because I was just talking with someone yesterday about Um, So I study a lot of charismatic and Pentecostal movements. And of course, they're in the news big time right now. Right, right, right. And I think it's worth saying that very specific kinds of Pentecostal and charismatic folks are are diehard Trumpers. But 
the movement's huge and there's many who don't um, support the Trump administration, especially globally. But anyway, that's a whole parenthetical. But <laughs> <Come> um, <laughs> you know how scholars are. Um, <laughs> but uh, somebody asked me, you know, what's going to happen when these prophecies don't come true or, mm-hmm. or, you know, and I, I had to explain, well, that's the history of, of Christianity and religion in America is full of, prophecies that don't come true and people stick with it because it's more about the, the moral imagination and universe that, that those kinds of like utterances or prophecies Mm -hmm. create than it is about like the details, at least from my perspective, I'm like, there's no, I agree with you is what I'm saying. Like there's no, nothing that I think um, a, a, a prophecy that doesn't come true could do to to deter people. What do you think? I would agree. I mean, I would agree. I mean, I think, so I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. I say that all the time on the Mm -hmm. show. I grew up black Seventh-day Adventist that had a lot of Southern black folks that came out of Baptist, various Pentecostal traditions. So there was the sense of, right, the numinous, but at the same time, don't get too holy because if you get too holy, that, that's just glorification of yourself. So there was a sense of prophecy, um, but there was also a sense of, well, that wasn't it, and that's still out there. And so it's like you mm. just skip it and go on to the next. I remember when I was, this was I was still living in L.A., and this was right before I left. I think some guy was predicting the end of the world to come in May of 2010, and they were <laughs> they were going up and down Sunset Boulevard and all you know up and down with a big old van and speakers looking like you know the Blues Brothers you know and they're like here tonight only yeah. the good old boys you know so and I was like okay and I was tracking that because I was like I'm very curious about apocalyptic prophecies yes. that don't come true. And the folks just picked it up and was just like, oh, it never happened. Well, we still need to go back. We see we missed this one part in Exodus, but now we got it. And then they started just, you know, going on to the next prediction. I don't know. I'm, I'm still I'm not a psychologist. I would I wonder what the cognitive and brain waves is about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't, I'm not a psychologist either, but. I don't mind psychologizing. No, just kidding. Um, Come on. I'll to the psychologist. <laughs> but no, I, I was actually, you know, yesterday, the thing that kept popping into my mind, it's really funny that you brought that up. The, the Did you say it was 2010 was supposed to be I, the end? I think it was 2010. It might have okay. been 2009 or 2020. I know everybody was trying to point towards 2012 at one point. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Well, it's funny how <laughs> how um, those things just keep coming up because I, I've been doing some writing about evangelical popular culture in the 1980s and for a long time there was a there was a guy who wrote a book 88 reasons why the rapture will happen in 1988 um and of course you know we've moved on since then but there you know there there have always been like the just jehovah's witnesses had um some bumps in the road early on in their history with with with, you know (laughs) predicting the end and so i think that yeah it from my perspective, and I only think of it historically, so I'm not a psychologist, but I think there's just something that's like exciting about thinking about decoding the world. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't happen, then of course there will always be some people who will become disillusioned and right. move on. But I think more people are just so excited to be a part of something. And yes. so it's easy. Like I, I saw yesterday that some of the, the folks who had, um, 
predicted a, a second Trump win had retracted their prediction and oh. gotten debt. Yeah, and then got had gotten death threats um, because of it. And from my Jeez. perspective, I'm like, oh yeah, you. I mean, this is me being so cynical. But if you take history <laughs> as a guide, I'm like, oh, you should have never retracted. You should have just like reformulated. Right. There you go. Because people are flexible, mm-hmm. you know. Like they, they're, and maybe that's where I'm psychologizing. But I'm like, mm, most people are like, okay, it wasn't that. Like, how can I? And I, I wonder. Okay, I'm going to ask you. Neither of us are psychologists, but let's just add, just think about it. But do you think maybe it's like people don't want to have buyer's remorse? Yeah. So they, they yeah. sort of want to go. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. they want to recalculate with the profit. I think I wonder. What do you think? Well, I think that I'm glad we're talking about this because this was something that I was I, I took up a few years ago looking at just different realms of the apocalypse and interviewing different people in regards to how they perceive the end of the world. And what I, one of the astonishing findings that I found was that people, especially zealots, however you want to put that. And and I say there's zealots across the board. There's zealots on the left that are like, you know, pure Marxian, you know, down with the state. And, you know, and you got, of course, we're seeing the zealots on the right Right. (laughs) that went into the Capitol, right? And taking, I didn't know they were taking shits in the hallway, Dr. Leah. What in the hell is the matter with people? You know, okay. (laughs) So I was talking to another religion scholar and we were talking about um, American civil religion. Okay. and And we were like, this is a desecration. Like right. if, if, if you think about, right. and I'm not saying that that it's Christian space, but if we think about like America as a, re, a form of religiosity and like you go to the people's house, which in a democracy, right. like that's the most sacred space. And then you basically desecrate it. I, I mean, I don't know. I actually think the folks who did that knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think mm-hmm. they were doing that on purpose, but yes. whoa. That's what I, I was just whoa. like, wow, I... And I found out that about, you know, of course, we're getting all the facts now. I found that out after the the fact. But I'm like, wow, to go. I And I'm not going to front. I'm Rick Morty fan. I'm I am a shy pooper. So it's like there's no way I, I could go into a, you know what I'm saying? Into a public space. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Okay, wait. It's so funny. So now that we're talking about the details of this whole thing. One thing, somebody, okay, I'm on a, I'm on a text chain with a bunch of folks who are scholars of Pentecostalism and okay. we call each other, like, we're like renegade uh, Pentecostals. And <laughs> so people were posting, cause this is like the Pentecostal charismatic moment now, right? Like right. there's just so much stuff right. coming right. So they sent me this, somebody posted a video of this woman who has since been arrested um, <laughs> for, um, and she's posting like basically telling everybody what they've been doing and we did that we broke down nancy pelosi's door or whatever and i looked at her and i realized like one church lady to another because i grew up i grew up in a, in a pentecostal denomination i'm like this woman came decked out for this she's mm-hmm. like got mm-hmm. very nice eye makeup she did her nails this is like what she wore to her sister-in-law's <laughs> essential oils party <laughs> right like <laughs> Yes, that's right. The essentials oil. Yes. I bet is, there's got to be some overlap, right, between this group. You know I'm that. Like, <laughs> I was like, what did you do? So anyway, to the point of, to your point about like all the details of this, like she planned that mm-hmm. and then came dressed. I just could yeah. not even. I I don't even know what to say right. about that. 
Right. I mean, that's and see, and to go back to your question, because I was like, I forgot. I mean, I, I think what it was is the planning of that and that people were actually happy that God was going to burn people in hell. There was a sense of happiness that I will be watching mm. you burn in hell, you know, because you didn't listen to me. And, and typically it would come back to the individuals that they didn't mm. listen to me. And I remember interviewing a Latinx pastor, very Pentecostal mm. church. And his whole thing was, you know, getting out into the streets and, and, and ministering in the streets and, and being out there in front of the people. And, you know, I remember seeing him one day and this is kind of what prompted me. I was like, you know, would you wouldn't mind, you know, I got you doing some research. And he's like, sure, sure, sure. Uh, you know, and I asked him what's been going on. He's like, oh, it's the people, you know, they're brainwashed by the devil and they don't want to have me inside their home and they listen to the word of God. And he like he embodied right that sense of mm. godliness in him. And so and his in his it is reply wasn't like, okay, well, let me see, go back and rethink my methods here. It was just like, no, they're the problem. <laughs> they're the ones. And you just got to dust your feet off and keep moving. So I'm just like, wow, the power to keep, you know, us. And I think that's what gets me. Cause I'm just like black and brown folk, man, we way more when it comes to like closeness and the devil behind every bush, we way more than white folks will ever be. So there's, there's this sense that, particularly in the black community, we'll go so far with equality, and then it's just like, wait, that gay shit? Oh, uh-uh, hell no. Mm -hmm. You talking about you a man, but you said you was born a woman? Oh, hell no, right? And so there's these limitations that you begin to see, and it's interesting when you run up against those things, they turn back apocalyptic. At, see, that means the son of God is coming back because of all these people want to get married to everybody, and people want to marry animals and stuff. And I was like, man, what? We weren't talking about no animals. We just talking about equality, <laughs> equity, just equal rights. Dr. King talked about that. I, mean, I don't know. You know, it is it is funny. I, I would love to hear more about your apocalypticism studies because I I've just been so struck by like who gets to claim the apocalyptic uh, community identity. Like you know, so if you. I've been I've been reading through a couple of passages in Revelation because they keep coming up and mm -hmm. people keep keep citing them. And I was just thinking about how like you know a, a lot of these images like they're really striking us versus them, dark yeah. versus light, you know, like you hear that kind of language, you know, and you're either for us or against us and just just zero gray area, zero subtlety. <laughs> um and I, I think about how different that is when you are a, a small minoritized community versus a historically quite dominant um, community. But somehow, like through this apocalyptic language, you put yourself in the position of being like a, on the losing end of things, which, of course, you know, from the outside just seems ridiculous. Like, at least from my perspective, I'm like, I don't know. There was a story about a woman who chartered a jet to go there. Um, and so I hear like, this, what? This, yeah, this woman has, I, there was a, there was a news, uh, an article oh. that I really liked because one of my, I don't know about you, but one of my pet peeves in all of this uh -huh. is when they try to say like, this is like, these are poor disadvantaged people right, right. who are whatever. I'm like, I was raised below the poverty line. Like, I know this is wrong. <laughs> like, exactly. Don't, blame, don't it, just say it's like, oh, they're poor people. Right. Because they're not. Right. Like, CEOs, like all these. So I'm sort of mm -hmm. like, how are these people who are at least 
many of the people who've been arrested by my estimation would be on the winning end of a lot of things, you know, like they've done okay in life by many measures. How are they envisioning themselves as being so put upon? Like, why do they get to claim that apocalyptic identity? That's just astounds me. I don't know. How do you think? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I didn't first, you're absolutely right. I think the, you're right. I mean, because I grew up poor as well. I mean, and, and the notion that somehow poorness equals you're dumb um, and that you don't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I get yeah. tired of hearing that because there are plenty of folks who grew up poor who are like, no, this is wrong. Like, this is this, yeah. this is just BS. No. But there, and that, that is, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, folks, this stuff has to be financed. The fact that folks thought they could take off work for right. a couple of days. Right go out to D.C., and then they could just return back and be, oh, okay. There were two CEOs from Illinois that were, they were just in, uh, in uh, what is it, the Chicago Tribune. They were just, they were talking about how they just, they were arrested, and they were like, you know, and like the companies had to put out these statements being like, you know, the yeah. actions of our CEO don't reflect our company. Don't shame <laughs> us. Don't dox us on social media. But yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like this stuff is funded. If we were merely dealing with backwoods, right, country folk, the stereotype of what we think of as rednecks, uneducated, right, dating cousins and all that stuff. Right. I, first of all, those people are dirt. And you know this. I, and it, it, people in the South are are poor. It's a different kind of poor in the South. And who's going to have the money to go from Arkansas to D.C. and spend the night? Get a hotel. Get, right. First of all, get on a plane, right? Um, so no, no, no. I absolutely, I, yeah. I, there's more to the story there. Yeah, I, I look forward to, you know, I'm. I always think historically. So sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I, I was 20 years in the future right now to be able to see like how will we, how will people remember this? But I, I, I often have just been using the concept, at least in my own mind, I haven't written it down or anything, but of, of radicalization, like, yes, like yes. These, these folks have been, may have had some of the theology in place. I think that's pretty clear. Like there, there were yeah. frameworks for this kind of thing. Right. Right. Certainly like historic, especially since there were so many white supremacist <laughs> folks, like visibly involved. <laughs> right. Like So white supremacy is not a new <laughs> development, obviously, but like the, the media coordination um, and like the the networks of meaning. I'm very curious about yeah. that. Like, yeah, you know, so folks are watching like cable news, which weirdly now Fox News is not the most extreme. <laughs> but they're they're watching like this set and that, like yep. on these kind of networks of 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 social media and and how and then like they're going to church. Maybe they're going to church with people or you know, maybe they're just watching streaming stuff. But mm-hmm. I assume that not everyone who is in church is picking up the same meaning. Like how are they putting all these things together? Right. To to, to come up with let's go and do this thing. That's fascinating. It me. is. It's it's very fast and that's and that's what kind of gets me thinking too. And I don't have an answer for it. I mean I, I wish I did. It's kind of this last year, I had no ambition to write or do anything. It was like... 2020. Yeah, it was just like, oh, Lord. And I was trying to crank out a textbook and it took me oh. forever. I mean, just, to, oh, man, it was it was rough. And I finally got to the point now where I feel like, okay, I think I'm ready to, you know, read something that's a little bit more scholarly than, 
you know, <laughs> People Magazine, right? Um, but and that's it. So, so there's a scholar that um, let's see, his name is uh, it's a neuroscientist, Michael Persinger. Oh, okay. He's a uh, he's a Canadian, and uh, he came up with what's called the God Helmet, and mm-hmm. uh, essentially it's a neuro, this whole thing that's connected to your neurons, and it it he says he can actually predict, calculate, track, and quantify the places in your brain that are evil that that show evil that show divinity that show grace that so and that he can actually show these, and so that's his study. Is put people into this kind of isolated room where, you know, you covered your eyes, you got the helmet on, and he'll tingle this one part and people will, you know, synonymously say, I felt this evil, this fire that was going on over here. And then he'll tingle this side and then it'll be, oh, but then I felt glorious on this side. And he so he talks about these Whoa. elements of where the brain shows up. And, he, you know, he relates those back to, of course, people being in stadiums, getting caught up in, in the group performance of, you know, loving a team and being, you know, fanfare. So then he relates that, of course, back to religion. You know, imagine if these things show up in a mosque, a church, a synagogue. Um, and then, you know, he's, he reports, you know, several, what does he call mystical experiences in altered states while wearing the God helmet, all while he's manipulating it in there. These aren't, and like people who are saying, I mean, I was in a different place. I connected with God and he's like, you know, I've got this thing. So it's very interesting, his perspective on, I first saw him on, I don't know if you, I missed the documentary. It was with, uh, it was called um, Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman. He was the narrator. Heard of that? I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. I, yeah. I you know what? If you remind me, I'll I'll send you the whole series. I got it on. I got it on. Uh, let's just say it was on the internet, and I just pulled it out of the air, and it just landed <laughs> on my hard drive. And oh, magic! Imagine, magic. right? <laughs> and uh, but I love that series because they talked to different, you know, different scientists and different, you know, from different perspectives, and that was one of them. Like, have we made God up? What keeps people connected to the point of going to war? over a deity, right? Killing somebody else. Um, so I don't know. I mean, those are some thoughts that, you know, that that, that, that ponder my mind when it comes well, to that. Well, now I'm really curious about that. And I can tell what I'm going to do with my next, like, um, when I go down an academic rabbit trail forever and ever. So thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I am. I, I, I'll, I'm really fascinated, like, by how many folks, and I don't even know what the per- percentage would be. So I think about like the folks who in some ways kind of to the God helmet, like if you could manipulate this, like have these people been radicalized in and like have like certain kind of triggers been activated yeah. in, in yeah. a certain way. Right. And then I, I sort of wonder like how many people are there for the circus part of it? Like they just... I mean, some of them, like, did you see that the Buffalo man, like the guy who. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The guy who wants organic food and got it while he was in jail. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. That one. So that guy, I, I don't know about you. This is, I can't tell if it's a coping mechanism because like I vacillate between laughing and then just being really scared and angry. And then, but. So yeah. he, yes. he was, he was like on the sort of maybe on the humor end, but my, a friend of mine and I, we were having this argument, like, is he, was he there for real? Like, does he believe in who he is or he, has he gotten swept mm. out in the, yeah. the fanfare? And yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. you know, 
clearly someone with performance experience. Like he's, he's up there and he's doing his thing. And I was like, I, I could kind of imagine him being someone who sort of like performance art, but then just gets so caught up in it. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't know enough about him other than the organic food. And oh my goodness, I can't even believe it's someone who's going right. to do that for him. Organic? What? Organic, I yes. Can't, I can't afford organic everything. Right, and and, and got it. I can't tell you how many, I, I've worked with cats in lockup. I can't tell you how many times they've just talked about, look, I can't do stuff with peanuts. I can't do like stuff that'll kill me. And they're like, hey, this is what you got. Eat it or, t- you oh know, or not. And oh so the God. fact that this fool got organic, I don't know, all those things... They just drive me nuts, Doc. They just drive me, they drive me bananas because I'm like, this is the type of stuff that, you know, especially the handling, you know, that what was it? The one uh, Capitol Guard hand walking the woman down the stairs so she didn't fall. Yeah, that one was, that was heinous. I could not. Oh, yeah, that, that one. I don't know if you saw, this was like one of these very minor Twitter storylines that I saw a while back where um, I follow the guys from Rage Against the Machine on Twitter. Just oh, yeah. I'm a, yeah. I'm a kid of the 90s. Yes, yes. Their stuff totally holds up. And there was this, like, there were these Trumpers who kind of fit that the demographic you would imagine. And they were listening to, I think they were listening to Killing in the Name, like blaring it with, like, pro-Trump stuff and, wow. and i think it was tommy morello like retweeted it and was like yeah this isn't what we had in mind <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah okay but i thought of that because i was like y'all you think these people are on your side and what was disturbing was like i don't know that they're crazy to think that like they obviously i mean there's been a lot made up of it uh, of the difference that that um, the different reception that these rioters received compared to Black Lives Matter protesters yeah. just a few months earlier. So, yeah, I, I share the feeling of just dismay. Not not even sure. It's like, whoa, where do we start with this? It's overwhelming. It is. No, absolutely it is. It is overwhelming. Well, let me ask you this. And I, and I always I tend to ask folks because I'm curious okay. myself. What has made Dr. Leah Payne, Dr. Leah Payne? Who is Dr. Leah Payne? Who, what, have you even gotten to a place of studying all of this and being a scholar, being involved and writing books and all these things? So what, what I know because we got caught up in the in the in the in the I rapture of things, as as Anita Baker would say, you know, the Reverend Anita that. Baker. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, I will answer. And then will you answer that too? Because I would love to hear you. Oh my. Oh my. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll get you the cliff notes. Okay. Okay. So, wow. You know, I'd have to say I got started, I think, interested in history because my dad is interested in history. Hmm. So he, he, he's a pastor of a, uh, he was for many, many decades, a pastor of a small, um, Pentecostal church in a small town and he was just interested in history. So I was interested in it. And, um, he gave me my first, uh, autobiography of the founder of the denomination that I grew up in, which was, um, Amy Semple McPherson, who founded the Foursquare church Hmm. in, in LA actually. So, um, and she was a, a show woman, like, um, she was a very like kind of classic Pentecostal. There were sex scandals, money scandals, um, everything that a big, huge celebrity, probably the most famous 
person, maybe definitely the most famous woman in America in her lifetime and, or kind of like at the height of her fame. And so I think that her show personship and just the extraordinariness of Pentecostalism, it's just such a vibrant theological world. Mm -hmm. And there's so much just things that are so outside the normal boundaries of, of respectability and stuff. So I think that just captured my imagination from a young age. So, um, then I ended up going to graduate school and, and they kept me in. So then I got a PhD and I think (laughs) I just, my, my fascination has grown with, I love to investigate the fringe kind of movements. Mm -hmm. I grew up, um, in the eighties and I don't know, did you watch Wild Wild Country? It was a documentary yeah. about the Rajneeshis. Yeah. So I grew up yes. in Oregon around that time. My dad actually toured the the compound. This is when they were arming and they would they would allow people to they would like kind of were showing off their arms. Wow. Yeah. So he they were curious about it. Um it, it was a few hours from from where I grew up because they kind of went out into the the desert a little mm-hmm. bit. But Anyway, so yeah, he toured it. So I just grew up with those kinds of stories from, so from an early age, I've just been interested in the fringe stuff, like the things that, that people call cults, you know, Mm -hmm. religion scholars are always like, well, you gotta be careful what we, um, but that, that kind of stuff, I'm just fascinated. I, I want to know more about those worlds of meaning. Um, yes. So, how about you? What what got uh-huh. you into this? My into this gosh. Biz? Well, I mean, I'm very I'm, lucrative biz. Yeah, that's right. It is absolutely. <laughs> I tap paid cash for my house, get a new car every year. Oh my exactly. gosh! Yes. <laughs> um. Oh man. If you only knew. We got one car that's 19 years old. The other one's 13. So, but you know, hey, they keep going. They keep going. And I will say this about living on the, the West Coast. I love L.A., but golly, living in L.A. is all about image and look at this and look at that. And oh, so yeah. people actually frown on you when your car is extra dirty. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different I world. I visit every now and then, and I'm like, I don't, it is. I don't quite get it. <laughs> it is. It really is. And, I, you know... That was, I mean, it's such a car culture in, in L.A. And I think um, up until the point, really, that I got married, I, I mean, I was getting a car literally like every, you know, three or four years. Now, granted, I was going into debt, but, you know, I was, you know, it, was, it was looking good. Them mofos was looking good. I I think, um, you know, I think a lot of this is like I say, you know, I came at this really reluctantly, um, you know, coming at. Uh, scholarship really reluctantly is what I mean. It's because mm-hmm. I, you know, I started out as building homes. I mean, I, I built homes for, for Christ's sake. I mean, that was, and that's what I thought I was going to do. I didn't go to college right out of high school. I, you know, mm-hmm. I graduated in 92. Um, and I was like, well, I'm just going to go and either, well, I had a choice. I remember cause I, I took auto mechanics my, my last two years of high school. And I was like the guy who read it, Mr. Lee, he was really great. He invited me to come. And then this other cat that I knew was like, Hey man, you want to come? work on a house. And I'm like, damn, I got a choice. So I chose the houses. And so that turned into, you know, become a contractor. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be, I was taking my real estate license when I felt this like calling, if you will, to go back to school. And at really? that point, yeah. And That's it's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm still interested in what calling looks like like what are what are the metrics of that i don't know we'll ever get around to that i mean that's that's why i like the god helmet so much because it puts some of those numbers together 
But mm-hmm. at any rate, I just felt like it, at that by that point, I was working as a youth pastor and working with uh, Young Life and. Uh, I thought that, okay, this is what I got to do. Is like they want me to become area director. I guess I got to go, go and get a, a BA. Because uh, I've been pretty resistant to going to school uh, at all. Like, I was like, hell, and I ain't going to that white institution, man. You know, mm. I, yeah. So, anyways, very long story short, um, I went back to school, excelled. Like, I finished my undergraduate degree in like two and a half years and stuff. And so, got out. Then uh, that's where I met my wife. And, and uh, now... Now, you know, almost, you know, well, that was, what, 21 years ago um, at a Young Life, I don't know, some conference, oh, something. Oh, that's awesome. At the, e- at the evangelical mecca of uh, in Grand Rapids. <laughs> oh, okay, that is. That is definitely. That's, they're all lined up. So anyways, we met there and then ended up getting married the following year. And so uh, then that, of course, ensued a whole tear with my denomination because she wasn't Seventh Day Adventist. And so then I oh, left the yeah. faith and was like excommunicated, left Young Life. And that coincided with me going back uh, to get my master's. And, I, you know, I, I was teaching high school at the time and I thought, well, maybe I'll teach some college class classes and, you know, maybe I'll do some stuff like that. And um, I'll be all right with a master's. I can I can do that. And my mentors at the time were like, if really, if you're going to consider teaching in the in the higher education realms, you really need to go on and get your PhD, which, again, I was very like, hell no, nah, I don't need no letters after my name, I, you know, <laughs> postmodern this, postmodern that. And so the next thing you know, I was getting a PhD. <laughs> um, and, you know, before long, people were like, well, yeah, man, you write and, you know, you pop. I mean, you're doing what scholars do. So get in on it. So spent many years on the adjunct trail and then mm. thankfully this position opened up here in Chicago and so we've been out here since what 20 well I interviewed in 2011 and uh moved in officially in February of 2012 so I've been here at North Park uh ever since really now are you married to a midwestern woman or she was is like a okay she okay. is so kind of like a home homecoming it is in, she in, in fact she, she educated me on on the coldness of because uh, I didn't know anything. I thought you could still just put water in your radiator, right? Because that's what you do in California. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, she had to had school me and what boots to get. And you can't get the cute ones. You got to get the ones that are warm. <laughs> Them mofos can't be cute, right? So no more you know, Tims. It's so funny. I've only, I've been to Chicago a few times. Wonderful city, by the way. I just love the city there. Um, I... But I, I am from the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest. And so I was totally unprepared for the cold. <laughs> I did not have one clue what to do. So one of the questions that I have for you, and I know we're so off topic here, is how you manage to bundle children in that. Because oh. I have two, I'm like, how do you even take them outside? It would probably take me like 40 minutes just to get them like to where they won't freeze to death <laughs> before they yes. go out there. Yes. Well, <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a whole different culture. I mean, it's like the the car, when we don't have it anymore, I mean, my kiddo's now 14, but it's like the car, uh-huh. um, um, what do you think you put in the cars like they have to have a special cover over it that's sealed oh, over oh, you know you got to put them in in like triple layers I mean it's almost like that kid on Christmas story you know where he's like I can't put <laughs> my right. arms down <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right <laughs> you know um and 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 it, it is because she was from the Twin Cities so she already knew okay. like okay this is this is what we got to do um yeah. So I appreciate that because, again, coming from California, I remember when we were dating and we were doing the long distance thing. And this was before 
This is what I always tell folks. Like, man, y'all millennials and Gen Z, y'all don't know uh, nothing about nothing, man. We had calling cards. God damn it. We had, there was no I free. I had a calling card with my husband, too. See? <laughs> there it is. See? It's very thrilling. Very it, thrilling. Right. For the, the, the combos. Like, yes. I remember just, just a couple of years ago, I cleaned out an old wallet and I was like, I still have this calling card. I had never gotten rid of it because there were still minutes on there. And I wasn't sure when I was going to need to use it. And now I'm like, just throw the thing away. No, it's probably not good anymore. But yes, to your young listeners, we we suffered. Oh, man, I tell you, that's my daughter has no clue. She she even asked me, like, what did you do without Wi-Fi? Like, just a disgusted look on her face. Like, what did you do without Wi-Fi? What did right. you tell her? I just, I said, man, we lived. <laughs> we lived. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. It, it is hard to believe, but yeah. So that was, so that was, that was kind of that. And coming back out here, although I will say with climate change, this mm. is probably these last few winters have been some of the warmest winters I have been a part of. I mean, and it's oh, steadily going up. Um, and uh I, yeah i'm like today we hit 42 which is like unheard of in january oh, to hit the weird. 40s the highest we would get like back even in 2012 2013 would be like 22 23 nope like yeah so well we are living through the experience or the effects of that here in oregon too in fact this last summer i it was Back to the apocalypse, I guess. Like um, in the Pacific Northwest, we had these terrible wildfires. And so um, we like it was the the sky. It felt like something out of a movie because for days the sky was um, like black. Not not maybe not totally black, but like very dark gray. And then sometimes it was red and it felt like you were reading the book of revelation. Couldn't go outside. The kids had to be inside. It was just insane. It made me actually really sad. I thought about people who are living in California who have been going through that more and more lately. And Hmm. yeah, kind of freaked me out. And, um, yeah, it went, yeah, it's been a, it's been a year of revelation. Yes. <laughs> I feel like on a lot of ways. Well, let me ask you this. Speaking of revelation, how do you then yeah. do you navigate faith, spirituality, theology in this? It's, I'm, I'm, and I genuinely ask this. I'm not, this is not a pejorative question. I, I'm genuinely curious yeah. because I am trying to figure a lot of this stuff out myself, having left uh-huh. a really toxic community and, you know, having done therapy and all that stuff like that. I'm still trying to figure out like what, where, where does faith have a space in this era of, of knowledge, right? It's like you don't need, and COVID has shown, right? Like we don't even need the four walls of the church. We can just do this shit online, right? Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Well, I just have like a series of questions and then I want to hear from you, but. <laughs> Come on. I guess for me, you know, it's funny. Um, so I, I teach at a Quaker institution and okay. there's this one Quaker writer who talks about, um, the practice of discernment, like Christian okay. discernment. Okay. And basically argues like we need to be, we need to be observing the times and asking the spirit to tell us what, we, what to see, you know? And I guess I've been trying to, cause I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, to be really honest, mm-hmm. I'm married to someone who works in healthcare. And so the last year has just been like, and we have two oh, small wow. children. Oh, wow. And, and I work full time. And so the last year, I just haven't even been able to come up for air. Honestly, yeah. like, think, thinking yeah. about transcendence is like 
so is a little low on my on my priority because I'm like, did I get there today? Um, so <laughs> I don't know that I've honestly reflected a ton because it's just been like, just make it through this, make it through this, right. make it through this. Right. Um, so, but I guess I've also, when I have a moment to myself, I've just been like trying to have like eyes to see what I need to see now. Uh, but I don't, I don't actually have a lot of time for that. <laughs> like, this is like a fun, such a fun break for me. So thank you for even asking the question. I'm like, oh yeah, I should be thinking right now. No, no, that's exactly. That's why I'm asking. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But what about you? Like, how are you managing these mm. moments? Like theologically, how do you, Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I think the shoulds, right? It's like you said, it's like, I, oh, I should be doing this. And anytime I, I catch myself doing that, I know there's more to the story, right? There's either guilt or there's pressure mm. or there's something that's tagging on along with the shoulds. Oh, I mm. should be doing this. I mean, I, again, I think the, the diet of the evangelical is, right, you wake up early in the morning you know, you read your devotional, you do your devos, right? right, um, right. You know, maybe you take some time out during the middle of the day to pray. And then, of course, you end the day with prayer and meditation. And if you're married, if you're a man, you got to lead your household in that and, and you know, and be the spiritual leader. And none of that shit ever fit me. First of all, I hate the mornings. Can't stand them. I'm a, I'm a night owl. <laughs> so... Like my best and, you know, my partner Emily knows that, you know, you just don't ask me deep, heavy questions in the mornings. Right. And conversely, because <laughs> yeah. she's a morning person and, and and conversely, I don't try to start deep conversations with her at 930 at night because yeah. she's on the down end of that. So we've learned to work with that. It took us <laughs> it took us a few years, but we figured it I out so much. I love that so much. Um. Do you are you thinking about the future at all? Like right now, mm -hmm. do you think about what life will be like after we get out of? Well, I don't know how long it's going to go. Like, yeah. I don't even know how to put a mark on it. You right? Know, is it after the travel restrictions or the inauguration or yeah? But do you think about what life will be like? Absolutely, I think about it almost every day. I mean, I think about like what. What will it look like? I mean, in Illinois, our governor just came out the other night and was just like, well, we're hopeful that everybody can get the vaccine by the end of the year. <laughs> oh. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Pritzker. Thanks. End of the year. Wow. Um. So, you know, and like my daughter's school, they're starting to move back part-time, but we're at an all-time high. And this is, I mean, everybody said it, right? Everybody was thinking like after the holidays, we're going to get a sharp peak because niggas wasn't doing shit to, <laughs> to social mm. distance over the holidays. And I'm like, okay, people, 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 like I get it. It's like, what's that one meme? I forget her name. And she says, you know, just because you're over the pandemic doesn't mean it's over. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I forget yeah, the song, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But she's singing it like, just because you're over it doesn't mean it's over. Um, And so I, I do think about that. I think about, you know, this new strain, the new strain that they're saying. I just read another article this morning, New York Times, that talked about how, they're saying it might have originated here just because we've had so many cases and that it's had time yeah. to to morph into something different. Now they were saying something about the the new vaccines that if you have certain out. No, 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 no. It was something that had to do with. I don't know. I got to go back and read that one. This was in USA yeah. Today and, and it just popped up and it was that there was problems with one of the vaccines and 
they were concerned about that. So I'm just like, what what will life look like? I think we're dealing with things that we thought were at least 10, 15 years out, right? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> how do we look at uh, uh, the next decade in terms of, like you said, the big things, climate change and social upheaval because our society is so dependent on me buying something from you and vice versa, you buying something from me. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I do think about that and I really don't, I really don't have a, a great solution. Once upon a time, I used to think, Oh yeah, we'll do this and we'll do that. And I'm just kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think you're, I think you're right about the, the length of time. I think it will be, you know, I was feeling the other day I was feeling bad for millennials because I was thinking <laughs> about, I'm not a millennial, but yeah, neither am I. Yeah. It's like, it's rough for you guys. (laughs) Um, Because I was thinking about how, you know, they came of age in 2001, Mm -hmm. September 11th. Right. They kind of like started their professional life in the years after 2008. Right. Um, Right. The great recession. And then now like some of them dared to have children recently and here they are, you know, in this world. And so I, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if this is me just getting older, but I think I've started to think about my own work as just like, because I, if we're both Gen Xers, I think like mm-hmm. we're, we're this t- kind of small generation that people don't really talk about very much. And I think that I sort of have like more modest goals for myself, like try to clear the way for future generations, because I don't know, like because we're having this weird moment with, with the boomers. Um, and then there's this whole other generation who has endured, you know, has had like some (laughs) legit difficulties. I'm like, I think the most I can do is just like work in my little corner in the world and try to hand things off. Um, Right. Hopefully better than, than how they came to me. But I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I always feel like it's hard to think about my little corner of the world um, and not get a little bit like overwhelmed. So Mm -hmm. I, I, because yeah, it's weird to be going through something so catastrophic and many things, you know, it's like multiple pandemics, social unrest of, I don't know, like civil war era kind of, yeah. Epic levels. And then, um, yeah. So sometimes I just get a little overwhelmed and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like do, do what I can today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's and just I, it. Okay. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say like today that was teaching a class and now this is like a little oasis for me. So thanks for having this conversation with me. No, definitely I, a highlight. Oh, well, shoot. I'm glad to hear that. Cause yeah, I, I definitely enjoy the, and you know, and, and that's the thing is right. At least for me, I mean, all of my teaching is, is undergrad. So, and, and again, I don't want to pick on undergrad and everything, but most of the conversations I have with undergrad is like, when am I going to graduate? <laughs> Why is my GPA so low? I, you know, it's like, you know, so we're, you know, we're talking and those are valid conversations. I mean, hell, I'm having them 25 years ago myself. So I, I get it. But <laughs> to talk on, right. It's like, okay, let's, let's, let's think through like, man. And, and, you know, and I feel bad for folks who are graduating right now. Like I had some seniors who graduated last May and they're like, what, oh. what, 
what, what are we doing? You got any leads? And I'm like, nah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got anything. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Okay, so today I went to a coffee shop that, because it's the first day of class for me. So I was like, this is such a miserable time. So I drove through a coffee shop <laughs> drive through with my little mask. And I was like, I'm right. going to get myself a latte. There so you I go. went through, I got it. And the student, the, the person who um, gave me the, my drink was a student who just graduated. One of my students who had just graduated hmm. in May. And I was like, are you doing okay? Because, right. oh my gosh. Right. He was like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a homebody anyway. And and I think the best thing I told him was like, well, you know, your 20s are hard anyway. I, I enjoyed my 30s a lot more. I hope you do too. <laughs> he was like, thanks. But yeah, I don't even know what to say to grads right, right. now. Right. <laughs> right. Like whatever they told people in, in 1919, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I think about that and it's like we're in a completely we have no reference for this. It's like, yes, illness and people who work in that realm. OK, yes, there is. But societally, I mean, that was such a different time to live in. Mm-hmm. Much more rural, agrarian. Uh, there was mm-hmm. a sense of there was still the quote unquote country. Um, we hadn't even gotten a transatlantic flight yet. We're still doing shit by boats, right? It's like yeah, we're yeah. not that far from the Titanic, right? It's, That's so true. Well, <laughs> I I want to ask you. I mean, you mentioned a couple times like how uh, organized religion has has um, organized itself or not during this time. And I was thinking, you said you've done Young Life and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. What do you think the impact of this moment will be on churches, parachurch organizations. What, I mean, what do you think is Oof. happening right now? I'm sort of curious. Ah, I, I don't have my. This is interesting. I actually wrote an article on on something like this. This was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a few ber- years back. I co-authored it with a, a, another colleague of mine in Denver, who uh, very much a practitioner and can raise the money out of somebody sitting on a couch in a desert. I mean, this guy, you just knew how to raise money. (laughs) And, and I hated raising money. I could not stand that. And again, it was one of those things like, Oh, you should be doing this. You got to be doing this. And I feel like teaching is where my soul is at. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and it takes a while, like you said, right? It's just like, man, God, it, it help us. Cause you know, it's like, I thought, oh, it's going to be uh, a construction. Nope. Oh, it's going to be ministry. Nope. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, ah. um, but I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the, the nature of, of nonprofit organizations is, 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 is at a reckoning right now because everybody's asking the, the ethnic question, like who's mm-hmm. on your, your leadership team? Um, I remember when, you know, Trump was first elected and he got, you know, Betsy DeVos as, uh, you know, his, his educational cabinet member. And I remember just posting yeah. the question out on Facebook, like DeVos, I always, and this is, I'll, I'll own this. This is my own opinion on my own show. I was always, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the DeVos leadership, urban leadership training. I have learned about it, but not very much. So please tell me. You you probably know more than I do. Well, I mean, they're a rich white family from Grand Rapids. And, I mean, if you go to Grand Rapids, they own everything. Like, DeVos is mm. everywhere. Mm. Um, and I was always sketchy of that just to begin with. Number one, why do you want to come and empower people of color? 
Um, and and what's really gonna change? Like, what is the society? So I never went through that. Everybody's like, "Oh, Dan, you gotta go through." That. I say, nah, "Hell no, nah, I ain't going through that mess." Um, but I get for some people, it's like their salvation. It's like their DeVos Leadership Academy is like their thing. Mm. So I remember I posted, I was like, are any of y'all DeVos graduates going to have a conversation about, you know, this, this, this education oh, and niggas went off. They were like, oh, I can't believe you're saying that. And oh man, people just went, I mean, it was like this, one of those posts, you've seen them on Facebook where it just keeps <laughs> just going. Oh. And then above it, it says, read more comments. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, See, I, okay. I want to have a, an additional follow-up. Yeah, I, I want to have a conversation with you about how you manage that because that kind of stuff stresses me out so much. But I want to hear more about no. what, so what, is, what was the sum total of their comments? It does. It does. It stresses me out, too. It, it gives me so much anxiety, <laughs> which is part of the reason why I can sit and debate and have a great conversation like this all day long. But it's something about the online thing that triggers me. <laughs> Um, and I, I've just had to pull away from all that stuff because it's not good for my heart. Like, you know, I'm, I'm getting older now. Shit, the doctors mm-hmm. are like, look, you can't be doing all that shit you was doing 20 years ago. So it's just like, all right, I gotta, I gotta watch that stuff now. I gotta watch my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I can't be doing, going over here. I don't want no damn aneurysm. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right. I, I think that, and it was interesting because some of those folks are saying now, huh? I see what you were asking. Oh. Huh. And I feel like the Christian community is so, and I'll put this on the person of color Christian community. I ain't even going to talk about white folks. We are so colonized in our approach to Christianity that we've gotten stuck in the only way to see God is through an evangelical lens. Um, I'm not evangelical. I, I, I left that a long time ago. And so I don't center salvation. I don't look at discipleship, you know, all that stuff like that. I don't even like Paul. Like, I I, I think Paul's a little bitch. So I, I, don't, I don't like him. I don't know why he's in the New Testament. I was like, man, you should take his his bitch ass out. And like, and that just comes from my own scholarship and, and having reading read paracanonical literature, PBS, about 12 years ago, put this amazing six-part documentary series out about the Bible. And they talked, they spent two series on that just talking about Paul and about just how a lot of people just saw him as like an asshole. So why did he get all this time in, in the New Testament, right? All that to say, I hold those things in tension uh, because, first of all, I don't have one of these. Like, mm. I got I got to pull like, like one of these right here, right? A little DeLorean. Ah, with cool. the, uh, <laughs> ah, that is so cool. So for those of you who can't see this, I know we're, we're, we're doing audio. This is a DeLorean, right? This is the Back to the Future <laughs> 2 one. Although the wheels don't flip under. I didn't get the one with the wheels flip over, but I got Mr. Fusion up here. That is super cool. <laughs> where, where did you get that? You know I, what? I love that concept. My mom What's knew that? I was, my mom knew I was, uh, uh, and, and it, this opened a whole door of my own neuroticism because I love collecting things. And oh, my mom awesome. got that for me. She got, found it on eBay. And then I started looking and then I found these cars. Can you believe that somebody actually bought a DeLorean and completely converted it into the Back to the Future car and is selling it right now on eBay for about $110,000. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it goes so from 100... Massive royalties come in. Right. $110,000 all the way down to, I think you can buy the, like, the Mattel one for like 170 but it's, you know, anyway, uh, for those of you seeing, if you don't know about Back to the Future, I can see some Gen Y being like, what's Back, what's to, back the to the Future? future? 
I'm like, I feel sorry for you all. I know. But I know. Educate yourself. Right, exactly. You got to go educate yourself on that one. That I, I can't even begin to explain that. But I don't have a DeLorean, right? I can't go back in time to see what the hell happened 2,000 years ago, like, right? Like, what was going on at that time? So I have to, I rely on, like you, historical context, documents, scholarship. What have people said before? Who are people who are smarter than me who have studied this and whatnot? I don't... I'm not fluent in Aramaic, you know what I'm saying? So um, I, those are all the things, right, that I think about. Going back to your question about nonprofits, I think, again, there's a reckoning. But there's also, I think, the generation that says, I, I don't know. I don't know. Why, why would I need this? Now, mm-hmm. I'll say this, Leah. I'll say this. I think that at the end of the day, have I have a fourteen year old? I I, I hold, highly believe in in the model of mentoring, having an adult involved in your life as a young person that are not your parents that you can just talk to and engage with. Yeah. I believe in all of that stuff, earning the right to be heard. Absolutely, that's great stuff. But it's like I I can't get with organizations anymore that exclude LGBTQI folks that um, are problematic with their leadership, their donorship. That was something that I wrote about in, in, in the article is just, you know, just how many organizations are still connected, right, to white uh, uh, white supremacists. And now, as we know, as it's emerged, alt-right. And again, people look at that at the time, people were like, oh my gosh, no, how can you say that? And now they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, no, that's so. Now I want to read that article for one thing. But I've been I've been wondering about that because right now I'm I'm researching like Christian pop music basically. Um, used to be it still is called contemporary Christian music, and one of the things is it like it sales the industry itself for a long time, especially in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, relied heavily on those kinds of organizations. And they've all kind of declined together, you know, like they've, um, in a lot of ways. And so I, it's, it's interesting, like to hear from the perspective when people were in them, you know, like what was happening. And, um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I look forward to reading your article. Um, cause I don't really know where that stuff is going now. Like right. those kinds of, I think a lot of it depend, maybe not, maybe not dependent on, but a lot of it, like was born out of the wealthiest generation of, you know, like mostly white boomers. Right. And, and so there was lots of money and, um, lots of people and those, all those demographics have shifted in the, in the years since then. But so much of how they did things was oriented toward a particular culture. Exactly. So it's like, I don't really know where, where some of those groups can go. And I, and, and well, and, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, 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 you didn't go ahead. I, I mean, I, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point now I'm at an age where I'm just like, what is making a real difference? We've had organizations in these communities for a long time. And my thing is, is like when someone who is a billionaire or a millionaire, or even somebody who's a thousandaire, you know what I'm saying? Can come in <laughs> and write a check and make a huge difference. Right. What is it, right, that's debilitating? Because I know people who are doing amazing work in, in these communities, but it's a fraction of mm-hmm. what really needs to be done, right? The systemic change that needs to happen to actually end homelessness. I was on this task force. This was right around, 
I don't know when was it. This was right around the turn of the century in the 2000s. I was in Pasadena, mm-hmm. and it was on this, this task force. You know, the ten-year plan to end homelessness. And you know, I was a doctoral student or a graduate student at the time, so I was like, all right, this will look good on a resume. But I'm asking the question, like, what what what, what are we doing? Ten years, and we're going to end homelessness? We way past that, and there's still all kinds of anything. It's tripled, quadrupled because of the you know the economic crisis that people are still recovering from. That. I, so I asked myself, what is it? When somebody's like, oh, you know, the people planting churches. I asked, like, but, but why? Right? I live literally a block away from the west side of Chicago, which is, a, you know, it's it's like, it's, it's hood. And you got a, literally a church on every block, at least three or four churches on every block. What is making a difference there? Other than the people mm-hmm. who go in there, like you said, feel good. I feel good about going to church. I can check it off a list. There's a cognitive assurance that I feel like I did something theological today, right? So anyway, I don't know. Those are just my thoughts, Leah. You you got oh. you can correct me and 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 help me, Leah. You know, no, bless are me. You Come on. Now, <laughs> I was like, now I have like five thousand extra questions. <laughs> so no, I I think that that I mean I guess I'm just resonating with everything that you're saying, and I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see like what the future holds. Cause I yeah. don't know. I mean, I heard a sociologist on, um, I don't know, I think maybe NPR or something. And they were saying like, well, we expect that these like religious communities will kind of go back to normal when, um, the pandemic is over. And I was like, I don't know. I'm right. not sure if that's right. what's going to happen because right. I, I sort of wonder if like, they, they were basing their estimations on the past, but I, I, I think that the, that media has changed a lot, um, since any of those past kind of major events have happened because like in 1918, 1919, they were banning, um, school and church and, and stuff like that too, in an effort to curb the flu. Um, and so, uh, but but technology didn't exist the way it does now, and things are just moving so quickly um, that I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure if, if that stuff will go back. I mean, I hope that things will because I, I'm, you know, I believe that physical bodies matter and that they yeah. should be in contact with each other, you know. Um, as much as I like to take advantage of tech, and we're talking right now, you know, because of the, the- miracle of technology. <laughs> That's um, right. That's but right. it would be so much better if we were, like, face-to-face, Absolutely. you know. So I hope that there's there's a reformation of, like, face-to-face physical communities. But I, I do wonder if it'll be different. I mean, one thing I wonder about, because I study, like mass media revivalism type stuff is I'm like, I wonder if these big, huge churches, if they'll be able to go back. I don't know. Like, yeah. and, and then I, I get yeah. kind of like ticky tacky wondering about what's their profit margin. Like, you know, everybody thinks that revivalist churches make money hand over fist. I sort of wonder about that. And so I'm like, if you're say you're Joel Osteen and you are like running the, is it the Astrodome? Yeah. Like yeah. that's not cheap, you know? Right. So it's right. kind of sitting there right now. Right. And then, you know, and then what if you can't pack it in like the way that it used to be packed? So I'm curious. I mean, that he's such an extreme example because his, his church is so big, but I sort of wonder like what the future of those kind of mega churches is. Absolutely. You know, now Whew. maybe, maybe smaller churches will kind of see some benefits to, Right. Ironically. Right. So I don't know.
Well, oh my gosh. Well, I want. I definitely want to be cautious of our time. It's hard to believe that it's been over an hour. I'm looking at the clock ah. now. I was like, oh my gosh, this time just flew by. So this is a... Thank you. Oh no, thank you. I, I think we'll definitely... I got to get you back on again um, because we're just just covering the surface and this is such a great conversation. Where can folks find you if they want to bring you out, you know, get you that nice honorarium, that six-figure honorarium, and, uh, you know, for 20 minutes of speaking, you get you on the lecture circuit. Speak that into existence. Thank you so much. People can find me um, on Twitter at Dr. Leah Payne or on Instagram um, the same way, or you can old-fashioned email me at leah.l.pain at gmail.edu. Look at that. So um, thank you so much for having me. Oh, man, it was it was an honor and no, a this delight. Was great. No, this was great. Thank you for taking the time. This was, this was great. And as always, those of you listening, I always say, I'll put these in the show notes, whiteoutchpodcast.com, and you can check out Profane Faith. All the lecture notes and show notes are always there, so you can check that out. Get in contact with Dr. Payne and the work that she's doing. Because you're out at George Fox? I am, yeah, Portland Seminary. That's right. So, Portland. yeah, yeah, okay. we're connected. We're an embedded seminary. So, um, cool. thank you so much, and I'll look forward to the next time we chat. Amen to that. 